So the two go together. I want to get affirmed. I feel insecure. I have to have sex so I can feel powerful. I can feel in control. I can feel good about myself. And so I was using sex in a way to get my quote unquote insecurity needs met, but that was actually obviously never filling me up. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah May, and this is a show all about exploring messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Hey, everyone. I hope you're all staying home and staying safe during this whole coronavirus situation. It's been a crazy few days for sure as things keep amping up. I'm reminded just how little control we really have and why it's so important to know where we put our trust and who we put our trust in. I'm grateful that God knows exactly what circumstance each of us is in, what hardship, and he knew this virus was going to be here with all of us and how governments would react to it before any of it came to be. He knew and he knows the outcome and he cares for each one of us in our different circumstances Knowing that he is and has always been in control comforts me. I hope it comforts you as well. Well, friends, today on the show, I have a dear friend of mine, Amanda Vargas. She's one of my in real life friends. And we chose to sit down together and have a really candid conversation on sexuality and gender stereotypes and pornography and more. Amanda is going to be talking to us about her story. She was with us with her husband. She was on in my first season, episode six, and it was all about how she discovered her husband was having an emotional affair. And so we're going to kind of pick up today on where she's been at over the last year and a half, what's been going on with her and her husband, and what she has been learning. With that said, here's my conversation with Amanda. Well, I am sitting here in my closet with my friend, Amanda Vargas. Hey! And um, the sound may not be as good as what you're used to, but that's just because I have not figured out how to be professional enough, how to have two (laughs) mics when somebody's with me in person. Eventually, I will figure that out. Also, you may hear my kids. I told them to be quiet, but we all know how that goes. And my dog is scratching on the door to come in. But if I let him in, he's going to also want to go back out because he is an extrovert and he doesn't want to miss anything. So if he's in here, he'll think he's missing out with the kids. And if he's with the kids, he thinks he's missing out with me. So basically what I'm saying is you're going to hear some noises. Uh, Today on the show, (laughs) we are going to continue talking about sex. And my friend Amanda is going to share some of the things that she's learned Amanda was on the show in the first season, and it's episode six. If you want to go back and listen, it's her and her husband, and it's called When You Catch Your Husband Having an Emotional Affair. And so her and her husband were very open on that episode and very vulnerable with their story. And we are kind of going to continue it today, but it's just Amanda because she has learned a ton since that show aired. And we want to talk about it. So, Amanda, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, and why you want to talk about sex? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for having me on today. I'm excited to hang out with you in your closet (laughs) (laughs) for your humble beginnings here. Now, 
Yeah. So I'm Amanda. And um, over the last year, my husband and I, Carlos, we have actually been going through training with YWAM Youth at the Mission. And we are just about to join full-time staff with YWAM Lancaster. So yeah, the last year since um, recording that podcast together and just sharing a bit of our story, the Lord has just really taken us to, or specifically me, to a greater understanding of just my sexuality and my history with it. Um, It was actually quite surprising because I felt like I had such an emphasis on Carlos and the issues that he had Mm. that I kind of lost sight of what was actually going on with my own sexuality and a lot of the problems that I was experiencing or just like, yeah, the background that kind of brought me into some strongholds and some bondage I was having sexually that I was thinking, oh, that's probably not a big deal or it's not as big as a pornography problem or emotional affair or any of those things. And so I was kind of settling for less than like God's great idea of sexuality. Mm. Okay, this is going to be really hard to do what I'm about to ask you. But I need you to give a five-minute summary of what happened with you and Carlos. Yeah. So basically, the short version of it is um, when we we got married at 19, young married, of course, which is normal in Lancaster, so don't be too shocked. Um, (laughs) But um, we got married, and we brought, of course, all of our sexual brokenness into our marriage, thinking that once we get married and we have this intimate relationship and we can have sex whenever we want with no shame attached, that it would cure a lot of the issues we had been struggling with before we got married, which anyone that's married is probably like, oh yeah, that totally is not true. Um, But that's a big part of what we thought. And so we carried all of our sexual brokenness into our marriage, which led to things like emotional affairs. Um, Carlos, which he's hoping to come on and talk about this sometime, but had a decade long battle with pornography and lust before he got free of that. And then, um, yeah, myself just had some struggles with things like, um, fantasies and, um, just really wrong sexual identity with myself, putting sex at way too high of a, of a place in my life than where it really should be. And just super confused about what does it mean to like be a biblical woman and be sexual. So Basically, it led to a lot of arguments and fights about sex, a lot of insecurity surrounding sex, and just a lot of, yeah, just struggles in those areas. Yeah. So one of the things I just want to say before we even get into your story more is that a lot of this series, we're talking about the struggles that women have as far as with wanting to have sex. And Amanda is sort of speaking for a lot of women that don't get heard, I think, in Christian women's circles, which is what happens if you want to have sex (laughs) and your husband doesn't? Or, you know, we want to, we're always talking about women are this way and men are this way, but Mm. there's a lot of variation. Yeah. And so we're going to touch on that too. We're going to talk about that as well. But okay, so Amanda, take us back to after that interview I remember saying we had gone out to dinner before you went away Mm -hmm. and you was about six months, I think after the original interview. And I had said, do you guys want to come back on? And you were like, not yet because all a whole bunch of stuff came back on up. Yeah. So will you start us there and sort of walk us through like what happened, what you've learned, you know, um, and what you're learning about gender roles and what you're learning about sexuality and just the whole thing. Basically, after we recorded that podcast, um, and sort of around that time, I had started reading Every Man's Battle, which was the book that Carlos was reading. It was a great starting point to reference some things. And um, he had a friend who wanted to walk with him 
through it for the first time. And so he really felt like he trusted this friend and they have a great relationship. And if this person is willing to walk with Carlos into freedom from pornography, and this is the tool he wants to use, we didn't know anything about it. We're like, sounds great. And so I don't really feel like I have beef with it. It's just, I read it and it just kind of really wrecked my world. I just read it and I felt completely disturbed. I was like, is this how men are? Like, Mm. they're basically like animalistic and it seems like they don't care about anything but having their needs met. And it just fed into this really bad narrative that I had already had in my mind Mm. that I felt like culture was teaching me, which is that all men care about is sex and how attractive you are. And just some of the things that they used as examples, to me, it was like, this is like, it just wrecked me. And I'd start going for counseling because I couldn't handle the things that I was reading in there and the way that I was just like, this doesn't seem true for my husband, for Carlos. It just didn't seem like that's really what was going on in his mind. And Mm -hmm. so at that time, we were staying up till almost 1am every night discussing Um, digging through our sexual backgrounds and histories and realized we had so many things we had never even touched in conversation. So many Mm -hmm. things that we just kind of said to ourselves, that's from so long ago. I don't even need to talk to my husband or my wife about that because that's not a part of who I am anymore. But the thing is, we do carry our sexual history with us until we get to the place where with Jesus and with help, you know, science and spirituality connected, we can take that off. And we just were not at that place yet. So we were really processing through it. So the podcast interview was a great thing, really, that got us to this place of thinking, I think we have more work to do. Mm. I think we're only scraping the surface of what God really wants. And it started to kind of form this passion and ministry in both of us that we really had a desire to see other people get into um, freedom from sexual bondage, but we didn't know exactly how to do that. And so we really felt like we wanted to walk through that first and really feel like the Lord had really taught us some things and we were really feeling good about where we were before we started sharing with other people. Yeah. So, and I just want to say something here. You guys were both in counseling. Right. Right. Yeah. First I went separately. Mm-hmm. I went first by myself for a few weeks to kind of dig through some of what I was reading in the book and what I was experiencing myself. And then we started going together. Yes. And one of the things that really struck me when we talked at dinner, it was um, my husband and I, you and Carlos, mm-hmm was the vulnerability that Mm -hmm. you guys displayed. Like you basically, both of you laid everything on the table. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? Like every, like the fantasies, the lust, the pornography, the, all of the things Mm -hmm. you kind of laid bare before each other Mm -hmm. in order to say like, okay, Lord, like do something with this mess. Well, we had just gotten to this point where it was always so hard to figure out where the line was about what you share and what you don't share. Yeah. And when that line is kind of fluid, you can give yourself an excuse or mm. give the enemy an excuse to say, that doesn't really need to be shared. And anything that's not brought into the light can never be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And so we actually came to a place that instead of saying, I don't know, like, how much do I really need to share? We're like, let's just share everything. Wow. Like, we're one flesh. We're for each other. We're going to be gracious with each other. And so in in a sense, it was really like, I don't know. It felt at first like pouring alcohol into a wound and it hurt so bad. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I like this process, but it just honestly felt like we got all the infection out a lot faster. And I feel like because Mm. of that, and of course, God's grace, we were able to have healing so much faster, I think, than if you just slowly pick away at it Mm -hmm. and you don't just go through the hard process of just bringing everything out into the open right away. And we had years of this. So 
When you say you brought everything out into the open, yeah, you mean like past, yes, present, yeah, things even that had happened before we were in a relationship with each other, like our okay. entire sexual history. So experiences, yes. What about like thoughts? Yeah, fantasies, we talked everything, yep, fantasies, thoughts, porn searches, everything. Okay, and you had support though. You mm-hmm. didn't just do this alone. You did have counseling support. So, so you guys are staying up till one a.m. You're hashing all these things out, but then you have somebody you can go to, right? Right. I'm right. just seeing if like you guys yes, were totally. okay. Because that sounds like a really wise thing. Yeah. To yeah. Totally. Kind of I think it's so important <clears throat> to have someone to walk through through it with you because. What can happen is you can start to wallow and you can start to get really sucked into that vortex of pain. And certain personalities like mine, it can be really hard to climb out of that because sometimes like misery loves company. (laughs) You just kind of get in there and you want to stay in there. And so the key is not to wallow and stay in this place. The key is to bring it into the light so that it can get healed and you can move past it. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so you guys are hashing this out. He has already, you've already found a lot of freedom as far as like, He's not having the emotional fear. He's totally yeah. given his heart fully to you. Yeah. I don't know where he's at on the pornography journey he, at this point. Yeah. At that point, he was already in freedom. He's not okay. lusting or looking at pornography or anything like that. So so then what? Yeah. So at that point, we're just kind of processing through it. It was a lot more painful, I think, for Carlos because he's more of a eyes on the future person. Mm. Not Let's not look in the rearview mirror anymore. But I really felt like we needed to. Like mm. we really needed to dig up the things. And so we are tr- constantly trying to find that balance, like I said, of not wallowing in our past, but also recognize the past like sort of holds a roadmap for the future. Yeah. <laughs> and so like yeah. showing it respect. And so it was That's a constant good. thing of me communicating well to him that this is important for me because it helps me and how I need to move forward in the mm. future. But also promising him, this isn't going to be the rest of our life. Like we're going to get to a point. And we actually met when we met with you the second time for dinner. Um, I remember talking about this and you had kind of likened it to excavating. And at a certain point oh, you've dug everything yes, out yes. and you can't keep excavating. Cause then it almost like it's more harmful than I it's good. I forgot about that. And so there has to be a lot of wisdom and that's why you need to be led by the Holy Spirit about when you come to a place where it's like, for now, we have dug everything up. We can't mm. keep going back and back mm-hmm. and back. We need to start moving forward now. And then, you know, there may be things like since then, that would have been six months ago when we had that conversation, that second conversation actually. Um, since then, there's not been a ton, but there has been some trigger points that have come up mm-hmm. where I've had to come back to him or he's had to come to me and said, I've, I've been thinking about this. I'm going to need some more clarity on what exactly this particular thing was about or, yeah. you know, certain things that people would say that would remind me of it. And we would need to just maybe rediscuss a certain aspect yeah. of whatever our struggle was at that point in time. So, yeah. So what did you learn about yourself? Because for so long, even after that podcast interview, well, there were two significant things actually that I remember you telling me. One, I think Carlos had never actually apologized. Right. That's so true. We, he got off the podcast that day that when we had recorded it an evening and he said to me, I don't know if I ever like really truly apologized the way that I should have. Like I was walking sort of in repentance as in like, I've left her. I wasn't talking to her or anything, but he's like, I don't know if I've ever verbalized an apology. And so that night he did. And it was really important to me because I think in my mind that I had just been like, oh, I know he's sorry, but Mm -hmm. there wasn't really a door closed to the enemy in that area. And that night I feel like a door closed. Like, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember you saying too, that you didn't know that you had been actually kind of holding on to some anger. Yeah. Like as he was retelling it, 
I think because of that, there wasn't the apology. Yeah, I think that you that, didn't know was there. Right. Yeah, because I think he hadn't apologized in my mind the way that I thought he should have. Mm. But I really needed him to get to that place of feeling like he like was yes. recognizing it for himself. And that's really what happened that night is when he told his story out, he had never really told it, mm. um, at least not in that way, where someone was asking him questions and really digging into it. And because of that process, he came to a realization on his own, wow, I have not actually walked in repentance the way that I should have. And mm. I need to really make sure that she is aware of like how I feel about her and that I am truly sorry. I recognize, and that was part of it too. Telling his story helped him to really recognize just kind of how significant that really was and not downplay it anymore. So another thing happened, you realized you had always kind of looked at him and his problems Mm -hmm. and and it was him that had all the problems with sex. And, but then what happened? You realized that wasn't true. Yeah. So as we were processing through all this, it was very much like the spotlight was shining on him and his sin and things that I didn't know about him and just the things I had read in this book and trying to figure out what's real and what's not real. Cause I just had read so many of these things. I started going into kind of a research, like research vortex of like mm. find out all the information to the point where I was just erotic. Yeah. And that's what was happening. And so we're really processing through. So for, a, for about, from about September until January, probably um, the spotlight was on him. It was yeah. all him, his problem his issues, what he's done wrong. How can I heal from the things that he's done to me? Very him focused. And one night, one evening, for whatever reason, it was like all of a sudden God took that spotlight and like shifted it onto me. And I could just see so clearly my sin in my own life mm. and my own sexual issues. Like I, I, I didn't want to face them because I guess I thought in my mind that I was giving him an excuse to lessen what he did to me so that if mm-hmm. I would come forward and say, I did these things, mm-hmm. then he'd be like, well, then why are you even mad at me for the things I did? Those mm-hmm. things shouldn't have hurt you if you're over here. Like I was afraid that I wouldn't be allowed to say, it hurt me that you looked at pornography when a lot of the things I was basically looking at would be considered pornography. Like what? So like things on social media, YouTube, like TV shows, things like Game of Thrones, like I was watching that and I would tell myself things like, oh, well, I'm not physically attracted to these characters. Like for me, seeing someone nude doesn't really affect me. But the reality was, is that the storyline compared with or or put together, the storyline put together with the way that these characters were pursuing each other did arouse me. And then couple nudity in and of course you have the whole package. And so I was excusing a lot of my sin behavior because I wasn't going to pornography sites Mm. and I wasn't searching out porn. It was just like put in my normal day-to-day life. And so even though it wasn't something that I did all the time or was even that frequently, it was enough in my life that I was like, oh, this is something. This is Mm. not nothing. And I really need to figure out what's going on and why am I getting to this place that I want to act out sexually in these types of ways Mm. or why am I watching certain shows that I would never, like I wouldn't be caught dead watching with my mom. Like, you know, like, (laughs) you know, what is going on and why do I have different standards for myself than I have for my husband? Mm. You know, so I would always say it's because- So you wouldn't like watch these shows together? No, I'd watch them by myself because I'd be like, oh, I'm not visually attracted, but Mm. he is. So he can't watch it, but I can. Which we have to address that that is such a lie, really. Women are visually attracted. Yes, yes. Like, and maybe there's some difference in the way, you know, that all plays out. Because like you said, for you, storyline is a really big one. 
But at the end of the day, like we're both visual creatures. Well, and what, I mean, let's be real in these shows, they're not putting ugly dudes in there. There's a reason for that. <laughs> right, right. You know right. what I mean? Like if it was yeah. a storyline with a dude that's not by culture standards a- attractive, mm-hmm. like they wouldn't put that in They're They're casting attractive people for a reason because right. women mm-hmm. do care about looks. Yeah. It's just not typically all or always the first thing we notice. Mm-hmm. Like there's other things we might pick up on or we will change what we find attractive based on personality and storyline. Yeah. So initially we might not be attractive but can grow to be attractive just yeah. like men can do. Yeah. Men are also like that. They might right. not always see someone and think she's amazing and gorgeous but get to know her and like, wow, she's really beautiful. Yeah. I love her personality. So we discredit guys as well yeah. by acting like they're only visual. That's not I definitely true. want to circle back around to this yeah. and sort of the roles that people have put on men and women right. um, and made it all just a generalization. But before we do that, let's just, let's go back to the story and what you kind of were learning about yourself. Right. Like you're kind of realizing like, whoa, maybe I have some things going on too. And so yeah. did you like confess that to Carla yes. or what, what happened yes. then? Yeah, I confessed that. And that was like, I mean, he was shocked. I mean, sort of like me reading every man's battle. It was like, what, what do you mean? What? I thought mm. you were like, this pure, like great, like never, you know, like you, because he said, I would ask you questions about the things you're watching and you would always say to me, oh, it doesn't affect me like that. That's not an issue for me. He's like, but in my heart, I felt this, like something wasn't right. Mm. And I don't think it's good for her to be watching these things, but you would tell me it was fine. Yeah. And so he felt, I think part of it too, is like my protector. I think there was a big part of him that felt frustrated. Like, I was trying to protect you and help you, which is my role. Mm. And you were lying to yourself and to me. And so you weren't allowing me to do that. And yeah, he was just shocked. He was like, I just didn't think that you struggled with things like this. And that was Mm. a big thing because we kept the focus on him. It was easier to really just act like I didn't have struggles. And so I couldn't even think about like what my counselor had said to me when I first started going back in September by myself. Um, on her whiteboard, she drew a picture, like a circle, and made like a pie graph and put all these pieces in the pie. But yeah. she made one piece massively larger and said, Amanda, this is sex to you. Mm-hmm. It's almost more than half of the piece of the pie, of the pie is is your, is sex to you. I think we have to pause there because yeah. women, because people listening have no idea, I yeah. think, what you're talking about. Yeah. Because, so why don't you just explain? Yeah. You don't have to go and only yeah. go as comfortable as you're comfortable yeah. going, but your sex drive is not, you told me, you know what, just start with how you would feel when Christian women would be like, I don't right. like having sex. Okay. Just start there. So yeah. they have an idea of what, yeah. Yeah. Context. So yeah, to, to, to help you guys kind of understand where I'm coming from, um, this is a perfect example of a story. I was newly married, um, just pregnant with my first child. So I was 21. I went to a women's retreat from church. And um, it was late at night. All the sessions were over. And there was probably six, seven, eight of us hanging out. I think maybe you were even there. Um, and oh gosh, was I? Yeah, I think you were on that retreat. I don't know if you so were up sorry. that night or not. But okay. anyways, the women were sitting around talking about how frustrated they are because their husbands don't keep their hands off of them. And mm. all they ever want to do is have sex. And I remembered feeling humiliated because at that point in time, things were not where I thought they should be in our sex life. Mm. And not a single woman mentioned that they wanted to have sex with their husband, but he didn't seem as engaged in the idea of having sex as they were. Mm. And so right away, it fed into my narrative of there's something wrong with me. Right. Shame. Yes. Shame. There's There's something wrong with me because I actually want to have sex. And other women were saying things like, I would rather wash the dishes than have sex. Mm. Like sex was only talked about 
in a way that sounded like a chore, not as something they desired. And I thought, oh my goodness, I actually like sex and I actually think about sex, actually want sex. Mm -hmm. Something is wrong with me. I'm not a female the way that I'm supposed to be. And so that was that tension I live between constantly trying to fit into this role of a woman where not wanting sex too much, Mm -hmm. but then also needing to be readily available for my husband whenever he had sex put me in this incredibly awkward position of like, well, just don't initiate. But whenever he initiates, then finally you can say, yeah, like it was just this awkward tension of it. Well, yeah. And two things I remember you saying, one is that it also made you feel a little bit like, see, Carlos, like you're getting all of this. Like, why are you going somewhere else? Like, I'm not like these other women. When I would get, when we would fight and I would get upset, I would feel so superior. I would be like, you don't even know how lucky you are. Most men, their, their wives won't even have sex with them, but maybe once a month. Mm. I never, hardly ever turn you down, which isn't true. There is times I've done that. But yeah. I would get in this mindset of like, you're like, I'm entitled to act and do whatever I want because I, I give you everything available. and the only thing a man wants, which is a lie. Right, right. And so then in turn, what that did was it also made Carlos feel like, what, am I not a man? Because I don't, it's not all I want all the time. Yeah. And we, during our research phase, we were both constantly frustrated to the point where we were constantly questioning, is something wrong with us? Because all the research we were reading, both of us were like, I don't fit in that category. Yeah, Like all I could find was material on how to help me want to have sex with my husband, which was not my problem. And all he could find was how to make your wife want to have sex with you. And like how to control your constant urges. Yes. Yeah, there is. Yes. And so it was like, this is what, where are these people that are similar to us? Is there something wrong with us? Like there was just this, yeah, this feeling of like, oh my goodness, like, I don't know how we're going to make this work because we're not the way the world is saying. And the only helpful things we can find actually aren't helpful for us because they don't apply to our situation. Right. So So going back to your pie graph, mm -hmm. the counselor was saying, here is this huge piece for you. Yeah, right. And so she was, so when she drew this pie graph and she made this massive one piece and said, this is sex for you. She said, this is the biggest piece of your pie. Mm -hmm. And she said, this is not how sex was designed. It's designed to be a piece of the pie in your marriage, but it is not designed to be the biggest piece or the only piece in your pie. Mm. And for you, when you think your sex life is not the way you've determined it in your mind, you should it should be you think your marriage is not in a healthy place. You yeah. think everything is wrong. And, and you think something's wrong with you. Again, it goes back yep. to that narrative, right? And like then that. I go back into shame, which is <coughs> right. when I would act out sexually, is then I would figure out, is that I would go to this place mm. of acting out sexually because I would feel so shameful and disgusted about what was wrong with me. You mean acting out like you would go watch these yes. shows yes. or something? Yes, watch or, okay. shows with super heavy romance content and Got lots it. of sex scenes, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that. Or even to the point of constantly comparing myself and looking at other women on Instagram, mm. constantly like, I wish I looked like this. If yeah. I looked like this, this would change how things are in our marriage and all of that. And so it was just leading to all these ridiculous behaviors, but I couldn't tie the two together. Yeah. And then when I really started digging in, what I realized is that all of this really came back to, of course, my childhood and a lot of the lies that I I had been fed throughout my early formative years. And so though I was never sexually abused, so I can't, um, I don't have a reference point for that. My story is more the longs of, uh, along the lines of growing up in a family where there was not really physical affection. Yeah. And there was definitely not usually verbal affection, no I love yous, nothing like that. I longed to feel valued and affirmed and all of those things. And so at the age of 15, 
when a guy I really liked and wanted to date so badly said to me, as trying to coerce me into doing things with him, said to me, you know, if you like a guy, you will show him by doing things sexually for him. Mm. And that really started that narrative in my mind that that's how you show a man you love him. Yeah. So how did that play out in my marriage? Well, it played out by whenever I wanted Carlos to know he was loved, I tried to act out sexually because then afterwards I'd get the affirmation I wanted. Yeah. So it was like, have sex, get affirmed, have sex, get affirmed. Yeah. The problem is, is that Carlos is actually a great guy who cares about more than just sex. Yeah. He actually wants to have an emotional connection and he wants to show me his love in other ways. But sometimes I wouldn't allow that because in my mind, that's the only way it, it happens. Yeah. So the two go together. I want to get affirmed. I feel insecure. I have to have sex so I can feel powerful. I can feel in control. I can feel mm. good about myself. And so I was using sex in yeah. a way to get my quote unquote insecurity needs met. But that mm. was actually obviously never filling me up. Yeah. And um, it was just putting him in this horrible, awkward position too, where it's like if he's actually tired, because, you know, sometimes guys are tired. They don't oh. always <laughs> want to have sex. Like that's, you know, that's a narrative that is not true from our culture. You know, he would feel bad saying that because I would take that so personally right away. Now I'm fat. Now I'm ugly. I'm unattractive. And now it even makes me even more insecure yes. and feeds into this lie that if I want to show him that he's loved, I need to do it this way. Yeah. Mm. I think that there's probably several women, um, a lot of women out there listening and going, wow, nobody has talked about this, this other sort of side, so to speak, of a woman. Mm -hmm. And so you're going through this, you're learning these things about yourself, you're deciding you want healing, you want freedom, and you guys are in this together. So, so what is happening now with you two? Like, what have you guys learned? Mm -hmm. Where, what's going on? Yeah. Well, it started, of course, just like anything. It has to start with communication. Yeah. Like I had to get to the place where I could really talk this through with Carlos. And of course that meant counseling and processing with God and really going back through like, why are these things a thing for me? How did I get to this place? And then when I could start figuring those things out, I was processing them with him. Mm -hmm. So he's learning to know me more. Yeah. And he's able to say to me, babe, I think you're so hot and attractive. It literally, it's not at all that I think that. He's like, babe, I'm not grabbing at you all the time because I want you to feel like more than an object. Mm-hmm. He's like, I thought that's what women wanted. Like, yeah. I thought you want, and he's like, now you're on the other side where you're like, why don't you smack my butt all the time like other yeah. husbands do? And he's like, I don't want you to feel insecure, but I also want you to feel more than a sex object. He's yeah. like, if if you had a medical condition and we could never have sex again, like, I want you to know that I love you and that doesn't change anything. Yeah. Like, we're, we're just as good. Mm. And so even like that, being able to communicate and having that constant reassurance as I'm like reprogramming and having my mind renewed to a place of where I'm like, okay, I am more than a sex object. And there is more to a relationship than sexuality and, and, and having these sexual experiences that there's conversation and other forms of intimacy. I mean, even just that, I wasn't even comfortable with any touch other than sexual touch. Oh, wow. So I didn't even know how to even interact with other men because Mm. I was so terrified because all I could think about was in sexual terms, like what they wanted sexually. So I was Mm. scared. Even hugs and things like that were incredibly uncomfortable because I wasn't used to receiving non-sexual touch. And when Carlos Mm. would try to do that, I was like, oh, we're going to have sex. That's why he's hugging me. That's why we're snuggling. Mm. And he'd be like, I just want to hold you. I don't need something else. But the world would tell me, guys hate snuggling. That's the only reason they do that. Like, yeah. so I would just constantly believe these things until I was able to communicate with him. It was like, 
oh, that's not actually what he believes. I'm literally letting the world dictate to me who my husband is. Some of the things that you were telling me that you've really begun to get passionate about is one, filling in the gap. Like there's Mm -hmm. not really a lot of resources for women and men like what you've dealt with. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear you talk about that a little bit because I know you're pretty passionate about Mm -hmm. it. And also what the Lord has been leading you into because of this, like the very thing you hated. Yeah. Sort of a ministry that you're developing now. And then we've also talked about, it's okay if you don't remember all these questions. I'm already forgetting them as I'm saying them because I'm 40. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We also talked about that like you have talked to so many women who are in so many difficult Mm. situations in there with their husbands. Um, And, and, Again, the Lord has just really given you a passion and desire to see women set free and mm-hmm. whole. And so, okay, so go yeah. with what you remember. Yeah, okay. Well, I actually just want to start at this one point because I think this is important. So I think that there's two ways that our medical community or even the world in general wants to view women and sexuality. The first mm-hmm. way is that women are not interested at all. Mm-hmm. The second way is that women are high drive. That's the mm. only other category I've been able to find. I don't technically consider myself high drive because I think, like we kind of talked about earlier today, is that women actually are created with a sex drive. Yes, well, we And are. sexual desires. And we want to be sexually fulfilled just like a man does. Yeah. And we have our own attraction things and the own, like we have the ways we like to be pursued. And we're just not, people are not talking about that. They're not right. sharing about that. And so- I think that there's many, many reasons, and there's no one answer for why um, women want to have sex less than their husbands or want to have sex more than their husbands. I just want to interject here, though, and say, too, that women historically and, well, just generally have been abused in a lot of ways, particularly sexually, Mm -hmm. um, and that really plays in to why women are struggling with sex. And so to just make it like, oh, she's cold. She's no fun. She doesn't want to have sex. No, 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 no. We're not thinking about that correctly. Yes. A lot of women have been really hurt. Yeah. But they have never been taught that that would affect their married sex life. And so they just think something is wrong with them. Yes. Instead of going back and learning how to actually deal with whatever trauma they may have faced. Mm -hmm or whatever their body, you know, whatever it is, so that they actually can enjoy what God gave them to enjoy. This is not a man's experience. Totally. Totally. And we're not here to fulfill a man's needs. Right. It's not like, oh, you should have yes. sex with your husband. That's like the common phrase, yes. right? And yes. it's like, well, no, like, oh, you get to each enjoy yes. each other. Yes. And even just the narrative too, that I found in a lot of books and a lot of like, um, to men, it's this idea of like, if a woman doesn't have sex with her husband, yeah. oh my gosh, it's going to be so hard for him to not look at porn. I mean, yeah. even just that idea, it puts fear in you. Like, yes. oh my goodness, like if I don't have sex, like he's going to lust, he's going to look at porn. Like we're responsible for how our husbands yeah. sexually act out. When the interesting thing is scientifically, it's proven that men look at porn for reasons that have to do with their past, with anger, with insecurity, with all these other things, not because their wife says no to them necessarily. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of deeper root going on, even to the point where I remember my counselor saying to me, we don't talk about porn in this office because porn is not the problem. 
There's mm. something else going on. Wow. And so we can't say to women, if you don't do these things, your husband will be tempted by porn. Yeah. We're putting them in a position to feel like we have no choice. Well, again, going back to that idea of like, who's going to want to have sex if you have to? Right. And or if how are you going to enjoy it if you feel like I have to? Right. Yeah. Right. And even a part of our conversations were like, we've been married by this point for um, at least 12 years by the time we started going through this process yeah. of freedom and all of that, 11 and a half, 12, I forget exactly where the timeline was, but it was awkward for us to even talk about what kinds of things we liked sexually with each yeah, other after yeah. all those years, because yeah. we've had all this shame tied up in sexuality to the point where we couldn't even say, I like when you do this, or I yes. don't like, or I wish you would do this. Yeah. Even for us being able to communicate those kinds of things, it's like, this is so silly. We're supposed to have talked yeah. about these things a long time ago, yeah. but we feel shame or we're afraid that the culture has made us like these things that we can't even discern in our minds yeah. What's right? What's so wrong? So many voices. Right. And so to get to this point where you're undigging all of this and you're starting to converse with your spouse, because sometimes, honestly, if we, okay, so we set abuse out of the picture right now, and we're just going to mm-hmm. talk to women who their story is not one of sexual abuse. And we're just talking about um, the other category of women where it's like, they don't know how to tell their husband what feels good. They've not had mm-hmm. orgasms. They've not enjoyed the experience. Who yeah. wants to continue to show up for something that feels kind of embarrassing or painful even, or the whole time you're thinking in my mind, I wish they'd touch me here. I wish they'd do this, but you're too embarrassed to say it. You can't even relax to enjoy the experience. But because we don't talk about that and we just tell women, just try really hard to make your man happy and to be at the same level as him, a woman doesn't feel comfortable when men are longing for their wives to communicate. Yes. Yes. If you talk to most men, they all say the same thing, which is, I want my wife to enjoy it. I enjoy it more when she does. You can't communicate about those things because of Mm -hmm. fear and shame. You can't make forward progress in what's going on there. And so for us, that was a big part about it is communicating that. And then, like I said, because there's not a whole lot of research and it's really new stuff is starting to come out about the fact that actually women do sexual, like have sexual desires. They do actually want to have sex. We have to start looking at why are so many women then choosing not to? Obviously a huge part of it is sexual abuse and, Mm -hmm. um, things that happened that trained our minds wrongly, even just the things that we're watching set us up for the storyline of the guy is constantly ready, always wants Mm, to have sex, mm -hmm. is never out of the mood. There's no morning breath. There's nothing to clean up afterwards. Like Mm. it just looks so amazing. And for me, I can speak from my own personal experience. It set me up for this idea of amazing, mind-blowing sex whenever you want it. Mm. And it's there's going to be no cleanup. It's going to be amazing. It's always going to be the best thing you've ever had. Yeah. And it's just this constant storyline of, of untruth. And it really puts men in a position to feel like, dude, I've got to like overperform mm. in order to be like what you're seeing in the movies. So if I'm not, you know, slamming you up against the wall gently <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in a gentle way, yeah. but, you know, doing all these crazy romantic gestures, then I'm like, I'm less than a man. I'm not what she wants. But yet Mm. as women, how often are we at home all day? The husbands come home. We throw the kids at them. We want five minutes to ourselves. We've got to make dinner. We're not exactly putting them in a framework either where they're like, oh, I can't wait to have this amazing mind-blowing sex because we're also not in that place. So both of us have to have a a continuous emotional connection point and an intimacy beyond sex so we can have a good sex life. Sex life is not just because of practice. There's other factors that go into it. Yeah, right. And you know, one of the things I was thinking about the other day, and I don't know the research on this. I know probably somebody is listening and is going to let me know the research on it, but I wonder if this is like an American phenomenon yeah. about women 
not wanting to yeah. have sex. I'm talking about Christian women yeah. in the church because we um, maybe there's been a lot of fear there yeah. or a lot of repression or I, I don't know, but I would be curious and I need to look into this if other cultures, if it's the same sort of phenomenon yeah. where it's uh, yeah. women struggle so much, I think. And I wonder the same thing because in churches, mm-hmm. when you're hearing a constant dialogue of you need this to do idea, this. you should do yeah. that. Like it's like, not like, woo-hoo! you're like, oh, okay, I guess I shouldn't like it. And I honestly, I can tell you with, with all truthfulness, there's been several times throughout my marriage, I've prayed, God, please take my sex drive away. I would mm-hmm. rather think of it as a chore than want it and feel like my husband doesn't want it at the same time as me and feel insecure wow. about it. Because of so much of how the culture has put it on me, I was like, I would just rather, I'd rather be at that place. I can force yeah. myself to do it. I can put it on a checklist. That's better for me than longing for something that doesn't end up being fulfilled in the way that I think it should. And that's so interesting because there's so many women listening who are probably praying like, Lord, please give me more of a sex drive or please help me to want to have sex with my husband. Like, I want these mm-hmm. things. I don't want any hindrance between my husband totally. and I. Totally. Yeah. And it's it's just all so complicated. It really is. It really is. And that's what ticks me off about the movies because they make it seem like it's uncomplicated. Yeah. Like everybody's just hooking up with everybody, having a grand old time. Mm-hmm. And the reality is you don't ever you don't see the fallout in any of that. Yeah. And totally. there is. Totally. And what does it even do for yeah. like the nature of commitment if you just are yeah. animalistic about it? Yeah. And you're just getting your needs met. Well, what happens when you are gonna be in a long term yeah. relationship? Like what that is gonna change. Like, exactly. There's going to be seasons to that. So it's and such we a change disservice. and we grow. So the yes. things that we need change from in our early 20s to in our mid to late 30s. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, the things that we're looking for now and the things yeah. that we are feeling like we need are different. And if we're not constantly communicating about those things, like right. I, you know, I really love when you're affirming me verbally, or I really love when you're, yeah. you know, X, Y, and Z, it goes both ways. Yeah. And so sometimes we're like, oh, we want our husbands to pursue us this and that way. But the yeah. same thing, it's a two-way street of us both saying, I'm going to lay down my life for this person. I want to yeah. learn about them. I want to study them yes. so that I can love them the way that's actually beneficial to them and vice versa. Yeah. And Sometimes we don't want to communicate with our husbands about what we need because of fear of we've done that in the past and they don't always follow through with it. Yeah. But when we're gently, graciously continuing to come back and say, hey, like I'm, I get it because I don't always do things the way you like. Yeah. I'm just saying again, like it really means a lot to me when you write a note. It really yeah. means a lot to me when you help with the kids, when you get home, whatever those things are. Again, that's not bad or wrong that that can lead you to a place of intimacy. Oh, no. But not. it's like. Again, like the world just makes it seem like as a woman, you just got to, all right, let's get turned on. Let's get ready. Let's be there for it. And that's just not, I mean. It's not even how our bodies are made. And I think (laughs) as soon as we begin to, like for me and my struggles, because I struggle with sex, it's been learning how to love my body, Mm. to love the way God made it, to learn that he gave me pleasure points that are only there for pleasure for a reason. Mm Mm-hmm. And instead of hating it and pushing it away, inviting it and being like, you know what? Like, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. Not in some gross entitled way. No. But like, God gave me this. Yeah. It's my right. Yeah. It's a part of his plan for human, us. human, how he yeah. made me. And so I don't, I want to learn and mm-hmm. fight for pleasure. Yeah. And the commitment that God has given me. And so how do I do that? Like, that's, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of there and I'm in that fight currently. Yeah. And I think that that goes back to the <clears> whole purity culture thing where we were taught to stay away from all pleasures, never Mm. allow anything to be a part of like, we just have to, because we're so close to the line, we have to be so careful. And so we almost train ourselves to think like for me, 
And because of my sexual background, um, you know, not, not being a virgin when I got married and just some of the things that I sexually acted out in, then when we go to the marriage bed and all of a sudden, or even if you've never done anything, but you've been withholding this whole time, all of a sudden you go to the marriage bed and you're supposed to do it and then not feel any shame about it or feel weird or feel awkward. Yeah. That's just not the reality of it. When we've yeah. trained ourselves to think any sexual anything is bad yeah, versus done in God's context is correct because he designed it. He's the author of sex. Yeah. You know? So before we wrap up today, I want you to tell me one, I'm just going to ask one question at a time. I'm going to be a good girl. What has God placed on your heart to pursue in ministry? Like this has been mm-hmm. something that you're not, we're not just having this conversation for the sake of having this conversation. You want to see women being set free and God has mm-hmm. given you some specific places where he wants you yeah. to minister. So what's on your heart? Where do you see the Lord leading you in ministry? Yeah. So <clears throat> it's just been so crazy. Like, I've always loved words. I love communicating. I love expressing and sharing things. And so I always was like, Lord, give me a message that's worth sharing, you know, all Mm. these things. And then when I felt like God in his still small voice started speaking to me, you're going to talk about sexuality and sexual sins. I was like, okay, give me something else. (laughs) That's not (laughs) what I meant. Because sometimes the thing that's been the greatest pain in our life ends up becoming the source of of freedom or championing for other people yes. that we're doing. And that's what's the case is for me. And so something that has brought me so much shame and so much um, insecurity and so much hurt is now the thing by which I want to see other people get set free. So specifically, um, I really have a heart for women whose husbands are struggling, have struggled with porn. There's not also not a lot of great resources for women. And it's not one of those things where you can like publicly share with people like, hey, my husband's walking through a porn addiction right now. I really need prayer and support and meals and all the help I can (laughs) get. You know, you can't tell people anything. And so you're going through this grieving Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. I've never lost anyone super close to me. So I wasn't aware of what a grieving process looks like. And Mm. then I went to counseling and she said, oh, this is a stage of grief. And I was like, oh, I'm allowed to be angry. I'm allowed to experience these emotions. And we get so isolated and then it's hard to move past it. So some women, their husbands will get free of porn, but they can't get free of of the burden that their husband kind of, he takes off his burden, almost puts it on them. Mm. And then they can't get free of it. They can't walk in healing from it because it is such a painful thing. And it's interesting how something that isn't actually, he didn't go out and have sex with anyone else. But in all senses of the word, he broke that covenant and that vow he made with you Mm. by acting out sexually through pornography. Yes, yes. And so it is this sense of like grief. Your husband didn't actually have an affair, but yet you have all the symptoms and the pain as if he did have one. Yeah. And you can't share it with people. And so I really have a heart to walk with women through that. I'm going to be starting a group here locally soon for women um, and walking with them through it. But I don't know exactly what the Lord will open up after that. Where can people... I know people are listening mm-hmm. from all over, right? But even if they want to follow you on Instagram or whatever, yeah. where where can people find you? They can find me at Mrs. Vargas Crew. Okay. I'm going to put that in the show notes for you guys. So that link yeah. will be there if you do want to follow Amanda. But Yeah. And they are starting to um, create some great resources for wives. It's been slow, but they are starting to come out with some things that are actually very What do you recommend? I would recommend Pure Desire Ministries, actually. They have a Betrayal and Beyond course. I've looked through it some. It seems like it's pretty good. Um, there's some other resources if you go to moral revolution, but mm-hmm. I don't know exactly, 
um, about all of their resources. I just, as a ministry, they're very good. I like okay. them a lot and the information that they put out. Um, but then, yeah, my next passion really is to see women, young women, but women in general, set, like set free from um, the bondage that surrounds their sexual identity. Yes. Talk about that. Yeah. So, so whether it's, I just have such a curiosity and a heart for, you know, what's stopping women from wanting to, or enjoying to experience, um, things with their husband sexually in an enjoyable way. But then the other side is for us women who are like, Hey, sometimes I actually want to have sex more than my husband seems to sometimes want to, or I just actually like to really have sex. Like I'm in the mood more than most of my friends are. And what does that look like? And how does that work biblically? And is that wrong? And so even just like talking through some of those things to be a voice where there wasn't one before to get rid of that shame of like, I'm broken. God messed up. He, I'm, Mm. I'm, I'm like a male in a female's body. That's not true. Mm. That's like that, that messes with like all this gender issues and all these things. Cause you're like, what's wrong with me? It's almost like I should have been a guy, but I'm really a girl, mm-hmm. even down to stereotypes, like about my personality. Mm-hmm. I fit almost all more male role things, even though I'm a girly girl, things that I hear but my friends leader, talk about with their husband. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm a strong you, you female. Initiate. Yeah. And yeah. things like that. And so there can be all this confusion around like, did God make a mistake? Was I not supposed to be this way? Um, so I have really a heart for that to speak up for that, for those women as well. And then the third thing I really feel like the Lord is starting to call me into and open the door for is women that are in like prostitution in, mm. uh, that are strippers that are things like that. Like things that I would normally say like, Oh my goodness, that was the source of my pain. Like those women are the things that my husband used to look at and I don't want to have anything to do with them. It's like God has given me this heart for like, oh, how did they get there? And how can they get to a place where this is not their identity? This is not who they are and they can get free of these things. And so just really all things um, coming back to the point that I just want to see sexuality realigned biblically with the way God designed it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Amanda, that is so good. Okay, last question. What do you want to say to the woman listening who thinks something is wrong with her sexually because maybe she wants to have sex more than her husband. Yeah. I just, I really want to just encourage that woman. Something I wish someone had said to me is that there's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) You're not, it's not even necessarily completely because of like, Oh, culture or the things that they've taught us or things like that. Like we've been designed by God as women to have sexual desires and there's going to be seasons when you may want to have sex more than your husband and vice versa. And to not put so much pressure on yourself to fit into this mold um, of what we think a woman should be. And to really just go back to the word and say, what does God say about sexuality? Um, You know, what is What are the stories that I'm seeing that are, are God's design for sex? And so, yeah, I just want to encourage you to not make yourself feel ashamed and to just really communicate with your husband about, about what you desire and how you feel and, how much you love to be with him, things like that. So I just, yeah, just give you hope that there is nothing wrong with you. And it's great that you have these desires and there was nothing broken in you. It's actually God's design for you. Hmm. Amanda, thanks so much for doing this. And I know we're going to do it again when we have Carlos. Mm -hmm. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. You can connect with Amanda at Mrs. Vargas Crew on Instagram. That's going to be linked in the show notes, but it's Mrs. V-A-R-G-A-S-C-R-E-W. So again, you can connect with her there. All right, you guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. If you like this podcast, if you found it helpful, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not, so your review matters. Thank you so much. 
If you want to know more, check out the complicatedheartpodcast.com. <laughs>